I'll tell you to the world. She's more than more than gold, more than gold. I've got something more than gold. I'll tell you to the world. Jesus is more than gold. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Adonai. We give you praise and glory. We appreciate your most holy name. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you are to us and all that you do for us. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege of your presence. We will choose your ways, we will choose your house, we will choose your habitation. More than the finest of palaces on the earth. So we come before your word, we ask that we will not be forgetful hearers. We ask that we will be doers of the word and not hear us only. We ask that you will grant grace, that you will show mercy, that you will grant grace, that you will show mercy in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. Please, let's be seated in God's presence this evening. Lord, the light of your word is shining In the midst of the darkness shining Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us Set us free by the truth you now bring us Shine on me Shine on me Hallelujah. Um, we're looking at the theme. We're looking at um, the theme, the salvation of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And we'll be, look, we'll be looking at a couple of um, topics. But um, today we're going to be looking at um, the topic, the horn of salvation. The horn of salvation. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. The horn of salvation. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms chapter number 18. Psalms 18. Psalms 18. From verse 1. Psalms 18 from verse 1. We'll take it all the way to verse 6. Then we'll also look at um, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 75. However, let's start from Psalms. Psalms 18 from verse 1 to 6. The Bible says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Five, the sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. Six, in my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto 
my God. He heard my voice out of his holy temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Amen. Amen. If you back up a little bit, you will see the, if your Bible is like my own, before you, you encounter verse 1, you see just a short write-up. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. That is very, very vital. Let's have it at the back of our minds. Also, let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse um, 60. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, down to 75. Luke chapter 1, 67, down to 75. The Bible says, and I read, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited and redeemed his people and had, and had raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of David. In the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Amen. 72. To perform the... Me- the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Praise the name of Jesus. Lord bless the reading of his word in our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first, um, the first, the first verse, or the first, the, okay, so the first scripture we read from the book of Psalms 18, right? Psalms 18 from verse 1 down to six he starts by saying that this was the words of the song that david sang or said to the lord in the day that the lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from saul praise the name of jesus if you go to second samuel 22 you will see the same words the same everything it was just like it was reoccurring in the book of psalms of course because you know, the book of Psalms contained some of the Psalms of David. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And um, David started by saying, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And then he begins to call God my high tower, my buckler, and all of that. And in the midst of that, he said, the horn, he calls God the horn of my salvation. However, if you check the book of Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah began to speak, the Bible says, he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he began to prophesy. Zechariah now was prophesying how that the Lord had raised a horn of salvation. And yes, what Zechariah was saying was about the 
the coming of Jesus. Amen. About the birth of Jesus. Even though Zachariah's speech was given back to him on the day that John was delivered. So because Elizabeth had been with child for six months before Mary took him, we can conveniently see that at this time, Jesus had not yet been born. When Zacharias was prophesying, Jesus had not yet been born. However, Zacharias was prophesying that the Lord had raised the, a, a horn of salvation for Israel. And then from verse 76, there about downward, Zacharias now begins to talk about the ministry of John. So there were two segments, there were two aspects to the, to the prophecy that Zacharias was prophesying. The first was about Jesus. The second was about the ministry of John to Jesus. So in 76, Zacharias now says about John, he says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby, whereby the day spring from on high had visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadows of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong the spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Praise the name of Jesus. So Zechariah, first of all, had prophesied about Jesus. Then now he now began to talk about the ministry of John. However, there is something that is striking both in the words of the book of Psalms 18 and in the words of Luke chapter 1. And that thing that is striking is that for the two testimonies of scriptures, those two testimonies of scriptures, there was one constant thing. And that one constant thing was that because a horn of salvation had showed up, then deliverance was in view. So a horn of salvation had showed up. And the implication of a horn of salvation showing up meant that deliverance was in view. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. It meant that deliverance was in view. And the person or the person, there was somebody that the people or the person that needed deliverance was going to be delivered from. And that person was called the enemy. He wasn't called Satan. Praise the name of Jesus. So, for example, in, 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 the, in the case of David, the Bible says that it was in the day that God delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from Saul, right? Now, um, Zechariah now is prophesying and he says that the Lord has raised for us a horn of salvation to deliver us from the hand of our enemies. And at this point, I would like to say that if you, if you will do well, if you are going to, if your Christian journey is going to fare well, then you must recognize that the enemies that you truly have are the enemies of your soul. You, you will do well. If at any point in time you see enemies, you replace that word enemy with the devil. Because whereas people are looking at other human beings as their, as their enemies, it is because they have not gotten the real revelation of the person that is against you. There is one person that is against you. There is one person that there is no possibility of reconciliation between you and him. In short, there is one person who, no matter how he suffers you, he cannot have pity on you. 
That person is the real enemy. And every other enemy that you are going to have will be a spillover effect of the workings of that principal enemy that you have. Also, if you want to show yourself to be a wise person, then you will not be looking at the, the human manifestation of your enemies. You will be looking at the source of your enemies. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And I said here in my note, I said, there is a bondage from the enemy that everyone who is unsaved is captured in. So everyone who is unsaved, everyone who has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, everyone who has not experienced salvation, the salvation of the Lord, everyone of such person is under bondage. Everyone. And he is, he is a captive of the captor, the enemy. He is a captive of the enemy. Now, whether they are, well, now this is the thing, whether they have a good character or not, whether they are progressing in life or not, they are still in bondage. Every one human being who has ever walked the surface of the earth and did not or had not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and put saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of such persons is under bondage. You know, I read it once in a book and I thought it was a far cry. When the writer was saying that every, every, everyone who is unsaved is possessed. He said everyone who is unsaved is possessed. Now, and the reason why I found it hard to believe was because I thought that for you to be possessed means you are aggressive. You know, that, that was our idea of a person that is demon-possessed. A person that is demon-possessed is someone who is aggressive. That's what we think. Not knowing that the real possession is that thing in your heart that makes you to be, to have a mindset that is at enmity with every dictate and every principle of God. That thing is the possession. Because the Bible talks, talks about how there was a spirit that you have been delivered from. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So where is the spirit working? It's working in the children of disobedience. That was where the person lifted up that revelation from. That everyone who is not born again is demon-possessed. And the oppression of that demon-possession is that that person becomes a child of disobedience. That person becomes a child of disobedience. And that is why if, I don't know if there's anything like that. I'm, I've been struggling with it. I don't know if there's anything like that. But for the purpose of this our discussion, if you think you are a deliverance minister, you are going to be wasting your time. You are going to be wasting your time trying to conduct deliverance for somebody who does not believe in Jesus Christ. In short, the first point of call for your deliverance for a family or a person or a group of people, your first point of call for them is to ensure that they are saved. If such a person is saved, then 70% of the work is done. The remaining 30% is the renewing of the mind. That's what the Bible says. So yes, the first thing, the first thing you ought to do to introduce deliverance to anybody is to bring Jesus to the scene. But everyone, everyone who is unsaved is under a bondage, and that bondage is the bondage of the enemy. 
So when a person that is unsaved comes to Jesus and the person wants to and the person wants to surrender his or her life to Jesus and the person comes and you know expresses faith to Jesus the first thing the first thing Jesus accomplishes in the life of such a person is deliverance and the method by which Jesus accomplishes deliverance is by the horn of salvation The first thing Jesus does is to deliver such a person. And Jesus does this by the horn of salvation. And that is why salvation, even though it's a love story and it is powered by love, you have to have revelation of scriptures to understand that even though it was, an, it was powered by love and it was motivated by love, it was done with so much battles. And it was because there was a battle dimension to salvation. That is why Jesus had to be a horn. Because if you understand scriptures, you will know that whenever a horn is mentioned, it is not mentioned for peace talk. Horn is mentioned when warfare is in view. So yes, Jesus was the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. All of those things, yes. But as to how to deliver you, he had to become a horn of salvation. So the first thing everyone who comes to Jesus encounters is the horn of salvation. Now let me let me make a few points. Let me make a few points. The first point I would like to make is that no matter how good an unsaved person is, I said it earlier, no matter how good an unsaved person is, he's under bondage. The second point is that the devil is the universal enemy of all humans. How I wish that people understand this thing. You know what the world and some of these media houses are trying to do? And some of these people who are atheists, you know what they are trying to do? They are trying to make God look like the enemy. And, okay, let me put it this way. You know, generally speaking, we think that, people think that there is God, right? And there is the enemy. So when there is God, then the opposite has to be Satan, Right? So when there is God, the opposite has to be Satan. Apart from the fact that if God were on that side and Satan appeared as Satan on this side, nobody is going to come to him. So whereas God, whereas God is preoccupied with revealing himself to you, the devil is preoccupied with disguising himself to you. So to God, his aim is revelation. To Satan, his aim is to disguise so that you would have eaten the forbidden food before you realize that this is the manifestation of the work of Satan. Let me give you an example. For example, people have looked at God, looked at his ways, looked at his people, and they've called them, especially in the U.S., they've called them conservatives. That means these people have a level of constraint with the way they do things. Then you look over at the other side. What you see on this side is liberty. Praise the name of Jesus. Freedom. So you hear things like it's a free country, it's a free world. People like for things to be free, you can do whatsoever you like. And they don't immediately think that this place where you can do anything you like is actually the coloring of Satan. And so because they are looking at it and they don't think it's the coloring of Satan, they don't think they don't think now 
that this thing that I'm walking into is a trap. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Now, anybody that now wants to, to, to drive the agenda of Satan, what he will do to you, what he will be trying to do to you, is that he will be trying to say to you that every place where he looks as if you have rules, and you have regulations, and you have to live by a code, and you have to live by a conduct, every place that has to make you to be put in check cannot be God. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we're together. Okay, let me let me say it. Let me say it this other way. I think it will sound better this other way. What they try to do is that every place where you are constrained, you know the Bible talks about how the love of God constrains us, yes. So every place where you are constrained, every place where it looks as if there is a level of regulation to your manner of life and to the way you live your life. People who want to drive the agenda of Satan, what they will be trying to tell you is that it cannot necessarily be God. It cannot necessarily be God, yes. It cannot necessarily be God because you do not have the liberty to live your life to the fullest. So this is the angle where you can live your life to the fullest. And if the people of God insist that this is God, then God is wrong. Praise the name of Jesus. So yes, this place, there are rules, there are, as it were, there's a, there's a level of modesty, there's a level of moderation with which you order your life. And there are a set of people who have become apostles of the kingdom of darkness. What they do to the ordinary human who is caught to the middle is that they say to the human that, see, look at how those people, look at how they are living their lives. You know, they cannot do whatsoever they want. We don't think that that place is God. Now, the people of God on this side, they are now saying, yes, this is the stand of God. The stand of God is that a man has to marry a man. Uh, Sorry, the stand of God is that a man has to marry a woman. And a woman has to marry a man. The stand of God is that whether you have passions in your heart for a particular woman, or you think that you have been destined to marry, to, to marry that woman, if that woman has been taken as a wife to another man, you cannot have her. The people of God will continue on that path, and they will keep insisting that this is what our God says. Then the people that have become apostles of the kingdom of darkness, what they will try to do to the man who is caught in the middle is that they will say to you that that cannot be God. And if the people of God insist that this is God, then the apostles of the kingdom of darkness will tell you that if this is God, then God is wrong. Then God is wicked. And so one of the major accusations that comes against God is that it is said that how can a loving God create you to become homosexual and he will not want you to live your life the way you want. And you know we say things to people like you follow your passion. And that is why God bless our heart with Therese for that song. She says, come and purify our passion. Because for the simple fact that you have a passion doesn't mean you are correct. Your passion has to be purified because your passion is born out of the value system that you have. And so this, 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 this respect for matrimony for some people is no longer there because there is a woman they love and they must have her. And I say to people, that be careful when people tell you follow your passion. Because if you follow your passions long enough, you will realize that what you call passion is instinct. And if you are led by instinct, 
you are you are fast becoming an animal. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, yes, back to the point. So, I was trying to say that the devil is the universal enemy of all humans. And yes, there's hardly, there's hardly, there's hardly any human being that you will meet and you will tell that this is Satan and you want to put his hand into it. And that is why Satan thrives on disguise. Amen? However, 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 there are some people who who have called themselves Satanists. I'm sure we've read about them before or, or seen that word before. They call themselves Satanists. They call themselves worshippers of Satan. And I'm still saying that even though you are a worshipper of Satan or you think you are a worshipper of Satan, there is no love relationship between you and Satan. That yes, you've dedicated your vessels to become instruments to the kingdom of darkness, instruments to become an apostle of the devil. But even in that relationship, love does not exist because the devil is the universal human being of all enemies, including the ones that are dedicated to him. That is why, no matter how many victories and how many territories you've conquered for the kingdom of darkness, if he gives an instruction and you don't follow, you are going down. Because there is no, there is no love relationship between you and him. Meanwhile, some people are boasting in the fact that they are apostles of the devil, and they think that, that they are in a privileged position. Not knowing that, even the devil, even the devil, as it were, does not care, does not care for their welfare. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And I feel like dancing around this thing called these guys. This thing called these guys. Because whereas God is one, and whereas the manifestation of God is given to us to see in Christ Jesus. Meaning that if you want to understand God, you have to understand God through Christ Jesus. If you want to know God, you have to know God through Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus is the display of the image of God. Christ Jesus, the Bible calls him the express image of God. However, there are so many things that are images of the, of the devil. But people look at these things and they don't immediately see the devil in it. They don't immediately see the devil in it. For example, one of the major apostles, one of the major apostles of the kingdom of darkness is Mammon. Jesus gave us that revelation. Now, trans- there are translations that refer to Mammon as money. Uh, in a way, they are correct. In another way, they are not. Right? And this is it. Money is money. Right? Money is money. Money is not righteous, neither is it evil. It depends on the purpose it is serving. So like it is said, money is a good servant, but a terrible master. Now, mammon is not money, as it were. Mammon is becoming... Is 
Mammon is when a person becomes a slave to money. That one now is mammon. Now, when God is calling people to the place of destiny, many times, the way the devil is going to tempt them out of that place of destiny is not to come on the other side. You know the way we see it in drama? How that there will be somebody wearing white here and the person will be calling you. And then there will be somebody wearing black on the other side and the person will be calling you from this other side. And the person in the middle will be confused. You know, that's why, how they act the drama. Except that in real life, yes, you might look at this side and you see somebody wearing white. But when you look at this other side, you will not see somebody wearing black. You are going to see a fine car. Praise the name of Jesus. You are going to see a fine car. When you look at this side, you are going to see the pleasures you can derive from cocaine. So, so, instead of it showing you the side effect of cocaine, no, you won't see the side effect of cocaine. What you'll be seeing is the pleasures that are there to be derived from cocaine. Instead of you to see that if you, if you lay with another person's wife, it's like taking coals of fire into your bosom. You won't see that part. What you will see are, is the temporal five minutes pleasure that you're going to have with that person. That is why when a person is possessed by lust, the only thing that person sees is the pleasure. He doesn't see the repercussion. That is one, that is one major way to know that a person has been possessed by lust. Because even lust does not appear as lust. It appears as pleasure. And whereas we have been taught that lust is usually between maybe a male party and a female counterpart. Right? That's what people think when they think about lust. People don't know that there is a possibility for a lost relationship to exist between them and money. Where, because Bible talks about the loss of the eyes and the loss of the flesh. Whereas it is the loss of the flesh that we, we hammer on. The loss of the eyes, we don't hammer on it. Meanwhile, the, the easiest way for a person to be lured, the, the way, oh God, how do I say this? Let, bless you. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. Amen. Meanwhile, the way by which lust translates to the flesh is through the eyes. Praise the name of Jesus. The major way is through the eyes. And so if lust stays in the eyes long enough, it will eventually translate to the lust of the flesh. So I feel like screaming this out to people in a time and in a season where it looks as if God is the enemy. The one who is not making us to do everything we want is the enemy. That's what people think. I feel like shouting it from the rooftop that God is not the enemy in this equation. The devil is the enemy. And whereas God is a just and a righteous God, so much so that everything you do that is, in, that is not in agreement with his will and pattern is going to receive judgment. So the devil knows this. And so what the devil does is to, is not to pose directly as the enemy of your soul. He's going to pose as something, as an occasion for you to stumble against God. When you have now stumbled and you're not receiving the recompense, it is the, in quote, it is the, the bad act of God that people will see. Not knowing that in the corner of your bedroom or in the corner of that person's office, the person had a choice not to stumble upon that punishment. But he chose to follow the way of the devil. 
Now, the reward of God, because we must understand something about God, that whereas things are done in secret, God never rewards any man in the secret. The rewards of God are usually open. So when God rewards a person in the open, what people will now see is that, ah, God is harsh. God is wicked. For example, the generations, the, the number of years within which the people that were the original occupants of Canaan, generation of years that they did wickedly before the Lord. Do you know that it's a secret? We can only guess. We don't know the level of wickedness and violence that erupted from those people's life. We don't know how many times oh God, we don't know how many times they defrauded one another. We don't know how many times they blasphemed to God. But I've realized something, sir, that one of the, one of the major manifestations of the Antichrist is blasphemy against God. And blasphemy against God. Yes, there are actions that you can do that are blasphemy against God. Amen? But blasphemy against God, majority of the times, is words directed towards God. So we don't know the number of times that people have said, because that thing that Job's wife was saying to him, I believe it was a practice in those days where a person can come to a point where he will curse God. So we don't know the number of times those people have cursed God. We don't know the number of times where a baby will be born and they will take the baby and deliver the baby to the fire of Molech. We don't know. But when God came to judge, his reward was in the open. And so today, it is one of the major points by atheists how can a loving God tell his people to go and wipe out a, a, a land, including the women and the children? So now God is now, God is now seen as the enemy. In short, there are people who are angry at God because of the fall of man. So they read what happened between Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And instead of them to spot the enemy, they are seeing God as the enemy. So they say, why did God create that fruit in the garden when he knew that there was a possibility for it to be eaten. God will help us in the name of Jesus Christ. So liberty and liberation. People have tried to fight for it. And sometimes they don't know that that is the devil in disguise. I think I've overflowed this matter for too long. So let me move. Amen. So I was saying to us that Jesus... Jesus is the horn of God's salvation. So if God wants to accomplish salvation in the life of anybody, yeah, if God wants to accomplish salvation in the life of anybody, what God introduces or who God introduces to that life is salvation. It's Jesus Christ. Praise the name of Jesus. And then the Bible says to us that Jesus now is coming to deliver us from all our enemies. Remember I said to us that we have a principal enemy and that enemy is who? The devil also. There are people who have said that in our, in our family, in our lineage, in our generation, these are the patterns that we have. All of us are broken to drinkers. So much so that even if a child that has done the giving birth to into the family, he comes with the appetite for kai kai. You know there are people like that that will tell you that 
there is a generational problem they have. And that generational problem is that they are drunkards. There is a, there is a, they will tell you that there is a curse at work in their family. And that curse is that everyone who, everyone who comes to so-so-so age gets a child out of wedlock. Or everyone who comes to so-so-so age becomes useless, becomes a drunkard. He will be fine, but when he gets to that age, then drunkenness will begin to manifest. What the Bible is saying to us that if, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the method by which Jesus delivers you is through that his heart called salvation. So much so that no matter how bad and no matter how negative you are in any generational cause or in any generational habit, when you come to Jesus, there is equal opportunity between you and the next man who has never been on a cause to serve God in righteousness and in true holiness. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 75. Let's look at it again. Okay, 74 now. 74 to 75. Let's look at it again. The words of Zechariah. I read. The Bible says that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Did we see that? That we, being delivered. So, what happens first is that we are delivered out of the hands of our enemies. When we are delivered, then we now serve. Let me quickly say at this point that God does not place responsibility of service upon anybody who is still under bondage. God doesn't. God doesn't. That is why it is a fundamental requirement before you put forth your hands to do anything for God. That you are first saved. And remember what we mean by saved. It is that you have been delivered from the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. So Zechariah says that we being delivered, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. How? In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Did we see that? In holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of our life. So when God is delivering us, God is not just delivering us from sin. No, 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 no. Of course, sin was part of the package we were delivered from. But sometimes we make it sound as if the only thing Jesus came to do is to deliver us from sin. It was not just sin. Another thing that Jesus came to do was to deliver us from the devil, the enemy. And now that we have been delivered from the enemy, we have also been delivered from the effects of the enemy so that we can serve God in righteousness and in true holiness. That is why I make bold to say that no matter the addiction, anybody anybody has faced or is facing, Jesus remains the answer. We are saying that even if someone, someone had become a, had been a junkie, we are saying that even if somebody, oh God, what, oh Father, we are saying that the person is addicted to heroin, cocaine, marijuana, everything at the same time. And there is somebody who had never taken anything like that. An altar call was made, and both of them came before that altar to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. What I am saying is that the possibility that both of them will live righteously and holy before God are equal. They are equal. So everyone who is born again, because sometimes we put 
this we quote this scripture of Romans chapter 7 and sometimes we quote it out of context we try to say things like Paul even said that the things I want to do I don't do them and the things I don't want to do I do them read it completely the Bible now says Paul now says that who shall deliver me from this body of death I thank my God through Jesus Christ that was a full statement I thank my God through Jesus Christ so Paul even though he had that issue he was trying to say to us that Jesus is the answer. So what the reason why we are looking at this topic is that we are trying to say that no matter the addiction, no matter the evil, no matter the curse, you know sometimes a curse can manifest in addictions. People think that the manifestation of a curse is that you don't have a job. Oh God. <laughs> so people think that the manifestation of a curse is that you are not married. So 99% of those deliverance meetings is for people who don't have jobs, who are not married. In fact, the reason why people, some people think they are possessed is because they don't have a job. Sorry, the reason why people think that they are operating under a cause is because they don't have a job. Not knowing that if there is a besetting sin that has been creeping you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it's a pointer that there is a generational habit that is disturbing you. Think the devil cares about you getting a job. He doesn't care. The devil doesn't care about you getting a job. What the devil cares about is how to make you to stumble against God. Stumble against God long enough so that you can be destroyed. That's what the devil is doing. It's not just for you to stumble. It is for you to stumble long enough because those, those nations, for example, the Amorites who were in that land of Canaan, they were committing iniquity when Abraham was there. God prophesied how that Israel was going to take over that land 400 years to come. Did you see that? For example, these people are sinning now, right? They have started sinning now. And God is saying, when I'm going to start judging them, it's going to be 400 years from now. But this is the resilience of the devil. It means that the devil can make an entire nation to sin for 400 years consecutively without repenting. You know, people think that if they've done something bad long enough, they'll begin to feel bad and they can change. It's not true. The more you do something bad, the more you are addicted to evil. So, whereas God said that the iniquities... Now, I don't have enough understanding yet to know if whether if the Amorite had stayed from or had stopped their iniquity, if Israel was going to still take over the land. Because God said that the iniquity of the Amorites are not yet full. Right? But 400 years later, the iniquity was full. So I don't have enough understanding to know yet, yet, I don't have enough understanding yet to know if had it been the Amorites stopped that they are sin and repented, Israel would not have taken over that land. I don't know. But I think I can say something, sir. You know what I can say? That even though the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full, but it was not yet full. But as at the time God gave their land to Abraham, judgment had begun. God, 
The judgment had begun for them. And so part of the reason why they continued in iniquity was because of judgment. Judgment had started. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So what am I trying to say? I'm basically trying to say to us, basically, I'm trying to say to us, that there is power with God. Yes, Jesus loves us, but there is a dimension of Christ Jesus that is a warfare dimension. And whenever we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that warfare dimension is activated on our behalf. So much so that even the spiritual battles that we talk about, because I don't know what people, people, you know, sometimes when people talk about spiritual battles, they talk about them, them contending with witches and wizards. But for me, for me, the most accurate description of a spiritual battle that I can see is when there is a, sir, when there is like a mystery of iniquity walking in the land and sons of light appear in that land and they begin to contend with those powers that makes for drunkenness, that makes for adultery, that makes for fornication in the territory. I think for me, that is the most accurate description of spiritual battle. Because true, truly, there are places where there are demonic strongholds. And these demonic strongholds is not so that ministries will not grow. No, people think that there are demonic strongholds that will not make your ministry grow. No, I don't really think so. What I think is that the demonic stronghold will not really want to stop your ministry from growing. What the demonic stronghold will try to do is to make sure that even that ministry that you are doing is contaminated by that atmosphere. So, the bulk of the work you are doing as a minister in that place is to ensure that the water does not enter the boat. That's the bulk of the work. Praise the name of Jesus. However, there are lands and territories where demonic strongholds are there and what they are powering is iniquity. So much so that you go to a land and the average young lady or young man in that land is either a wizard or a witch. People that have gone to crusades will tell you some of these things, sir. We went for rural rugged in one place and Prophet Shima said, and I believed it. Prophet Shima looked at the landscape. Prophet Shima said, there is, there is, how did he even put it? Let me paraphrase it. There is a cloud of drunkenness in this village. The average young man in this village is a drunkard. So when you come as a son of light and you want to engage, eh, it is it is those you begin to engage those powers that makes people to stumble against God long enough. Long enough. Long enough. We are saying that a prostitute who has been prostituting, 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 being powered by the by the devil. If she comes to Jesus, what Jesus does, Jesus does not just save her from her past sins, or like we say, past, present, and future. That's not my concern. That's not what I'm talking about yet. I'm not just saying that Jesus is saving her from her sins. I'm saying that Jesus, one of the things that Jesus done, does is that that prostitution, Jesus raises his horn of salvation to break it down. So there is power in salvation. That's what I want to say. There is power in salvation. Every habit, every negative habit 
every negative habit, if it stays with Jesus long enough, it will break. So yes, in this local jar, there's a spiritual battle. In Nigeria, this is you saw the spiritual battle in Nigeria. So do you know the spiritual battle in Nigeria? You know, you know it's corruption, right? <laughs> it is perversion of the ways of justice. That's the that's in short, the reason of the reasons, not some. The main reason why our road is bad is judgment for our level of corruption. So when you come and you want to engage, you want to intercede for Nigeria. Your prayer is not for hospitals to come. Your prayer is, Lord, that demonic stronghold that makes an average Nigerian to be corrupt, let it break. Let it break. This truly is is the spiritual battle. And what Jesus takes to the spiritual battle is his horn. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Let me close on this note. There's a note I want to close on. I want to hit a particular note, just like a musician. I want to hit a particular note. That I want to say that every, you know, you know, in scriptures there is, in scriptures there is, there are symbols and signs in scriptures, right? For example, oil. Oil will mean and to be oil will mean to be anointed oil means to be elected you know so the same way in scriptures horn is a symbol of like we said earlier authority and powers and I think Pazmanki has shared in one of his messages how that every one of us has a level of authority either in our family or in our workplace or in our relationships, we have a, a particular catchment area that we have influence over. Our siblings. So every human being has a horn, as it were. Every human being has a horn. So, so, um, what should I do first? Let's talk about every human being. I should continue the spiritual battle. Okay, let me continue with the spiritual battle and let me tie it back to every human being. Sorry, please. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1, verse, verse 18 to 21. Zechariah chapter 1, from verse 18. Okay, let me start from verse 17. 17 says, Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. 18. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, 
and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me. He said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters that said, Then said I, What come this to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which have lifted up their horn over the land of Judah, to scatter it. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You know, this scripture, you know, especially that last one, that says, these are the horns that have stopped people from lifting up their heads. I've heard it used for deliverance. How that, you know, it is said that maybe in your family there are horns. Horns that have made that no man will lift his head. So that in your family, nobody is prominent. People have used it, right? However, let's, 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 let's follow let's follow the scripture literally. Literally now. You know this scripture is talking about a nation. And that nation is called Israel. Judah. Jerusalem. You know, all these are cities. And the word God gave is that my cities shall spread abroad, shall yet spread abroad through prosperity, right? He said, and the Lord shall yet choose Israel. But we are having a particular issue. The issue we are having is that there are horns. So God opened the eyes of Zechariah and he saw the horns. And there were four horns. And, and he said, these are the horns which have scattered these are the horns which have scattered Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. Now, if you read scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, you will know that the major battle, the major battle, the, one of the major battles that Israel fought was the battle of unity. There were so many times when the land of Israel, where Israel and Judah fought against each other. Now, the spillover effect of that disunity was that nobody could lift up their head. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So the horns that were manifested, they were manifested in a way to scatter. Now the Bible now says that there were four carpenters that came. And he said, what have these ones come to do? And God said that, or the person I was talking to Zechariah said that, these have come to fray the horns. To disengage the horns. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, when there are horns like that, authorities like that, manifesting in a particular territory, God's solution is to send his people there. So now, we've talked about how the horn of salvation is Jesus Christ, and how that when we are saved, what happens when we come to Jesus is that his horn is is engaged for us. Now, the intent of Jesus now is not just for him to be the horn of salvation, it is that our own horns, remember I was talking about how all of us have authorities, it is that our own horns will become horns of salvation in respective places because there is a principle in Christ and that principle in Christ is that as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So when we stay with Jesus, when Jesus uses his horn to engage for us and we stay with Jesus long enough, one of the things that Jesus is seeking to accomplish in our lives is that we also will become horns of salvation. So that we can act in his capacity. 
And I said, every one human has authority. There is a, a sphere you have authority. And more than just a sphere, there are giftings you have. And in those giftings, you have authority in those giftings. Just like Apostle Adam was sharing. There are people who have a, who, who their horn is the horn of prophecy. It flows for them. Praise the name of Jesus. There are people whose horn is the horn of revelation and interpretation of scriptures. It's a horn for them. And God wants us to, at the end of the day, submit all of these horns to him to the point... I'm so sorry. God wants us to, at the end of the day, submit these horns to him to the point that these horns cannot become horns of salvation. Because for the simple fact that you can read, understand, and explain scripture does not mean you will bring the salvation of the Lord to bear. Your, that your gifting must come under the submission of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry, I have... Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, at the end of the day, our horn is supposed to become a horn of salvation. So, at the end of the day, thank you. At the end of the day, our horn is supposed to become a horn of salvation. A horn that can make people experience the salvation of the Lord. I pray that God will help us in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we've, what we have seen, what we are saying, that one of the reasons why God saved us is for us to become conformed to the image of His Son. And I'm also saying to us that another reason why God saved us is so that, so that we also can become forms of salvation. So that deliverance is made possible because of your life. And so if you have recognized those giftings, writing, speaking, praying, all of those giftings that God gives to people, if you've recognized some of those giftings at work in your life, your prayer will not be like the prayer of David, how he said that my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Because the, the purpose for horn is to engage. However, when there is a battle, the horn that is most exalted has the upper hand. So David said, my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. How? When I am anointed with fresh oil. I'm not disputing the fact that yes, you are anointed. I'm not disputing that fact. But I'm saying that occasionally in your life, you must pray that prayer. That Lord, my horn should be exalted when I am anointed with fresh oil. Let my horn be exalted. You see sometimes there are some contentions. Contentions. And you see this thing that, that people say how that you need stature. You know, we used to say that everyone, everyone who is born again can cast out demons. You know, we say things like that. 
We say everyone who is born again can cast out demons. You don't necessarily have to have superpowers. 